Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive your personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. Now, on top of that, We'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all their listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for just $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. Go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. Welcome to In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Duop and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to In the Know, brought to you by betonline.ag and Indeed. Mason, my friend, it has been such a long time since we've talked. And in that time, this season is lost. Not because of Bledsoe. <laughs> Griff didn't reinforce the bench. Failure and lottery odds were always the goal. Oh, oh man. You, we, we, it really has been a long time then, huh? Yeah, man. I mean, if you didn't know, the season is lost because it's been four games. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we can pack this in then, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see after the pandemic ends, and um, we'll have a new 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 year. Yeah, as a surprise to our fans, this is actually a draft pod, <laughs> and uh, we're going to be discussing Cade Cunningham uh, and Evan Mobley and uh, Jonathan Kaminga. Mason, do you know any of these names? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> cool. Well, you know, the early returns on those. Pro- okay, I'm not even going to go into that. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, well, welcome back. It looks like Pal's Twitter is in mid-season form, <laughs> and uh, it was a quite an eventful night last night due to it. I mean, anytime you get blown out by the Suns, yeah. You got to have a meltdown. I don't know if we fired everyone yet, but we should. And um, yeah, man, it's it's been an interesting four games where the Pelicans are are two and two, which is I think a better start than they've had any year in the Gentry era, except for that one year they started four and zero, and then Anthony Davis got traded. Um, and and like they look at the teams they played. Um, and fine, like Toronto obviously has had a rough start. They're zero, I think zero and three or zero and four, but. Um, but, you know, they played the Raptors on the road. Granted, it was kind of a road game for the Raptors, too, given that they're playing in Tampa this year. Then the, in Miami on Christmas, then a home game against the Spurs, and then they go to Phoenix. Like, these are all teams – like, the, if there's a game you think they got to get, it's the Spurs. And even that's, you know, that's never a sure thing as long as Greg Popovich is in charge over there. And so, like, I think two and two is a reasonable outcome and, and probably, like, I think what I would have expected over the first four games, given how little time we had for the offseason, for training camp, for all this, for come, to come together with some new faces, I think 1.5 wins was probably where I would have where, where I would have placed my bet for the first four games. So you'd think people may be a little bit happier with the with the results of two and two, but it seems like the the world's on fire right now. Yeah, I mean it's it's hilarious. The Pelicans have played 
three road games to one home game. And so who knows if home court advantage is any kind of a consideration in this weird COVID fanless slash small fan base era, but there still is that travel component. And I'd wager that role players play better at home. Uh, still we'll, we'll see if that comes to fruition this year and, and, and what's going on. But yeah, I mean, the Pelicans role players have been a disaster to say the least. I mean, if you're not Zion Williamson, if you're not Brandon Ingram, and if you're not Steven Adams, like no one really knows what you're getting out of that person on a night to night basis. And even then, like, you know, Zion's been, he hasn't been like all NBA Zion, you know, he's been good. Mm-hmm. He's, he hasn't been that Zion. Um, and so all things considered like 500 is an okay place to be. And I think a lot of it's, it's funny to me that, you know, we put out all these polls before the season. Yeah. And in each poll, we're like, okay, well, where do you expect the Pels to be win total wise? Where do you expect the Pels to be seating wise, et cetera, et cetera. And consistently people overwhelmingly responded, Oh, we expect them to be 500 or below uh, or slightly below 500. And, and, you know, they'd be a a play in team 10th or ninth seed. Very few people outright predicting, you know, a winning season, uh, a, a guaranteed playoff spot. Very few people. And then here we are, 500 at pace to to do these things that everyone expected. And as you said, the world is on fire and we are playing for lottery odds. And the, I guess that's the beauty of fandom, right? You, you live in the moment, you, you, you get riled up. Uh, if things go bad, you get riled up if things go good. And so you know, more power to people who, who like to watch it that way and, and subject themselves to that. Um, there's no right or wrong way to do this. So knock yourself out. Yeah. And, uh, oh, well, I, I think some people will be happy because after the Suns game last night, I think they fired Alvin Gentry again. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is, I think that's a, that's a, that's a funny conversation to have because, you know, it was fire Alvin Gentry, fire Alvin Gentry. He doesn't run any plays. He doesn't run any sets. And yet, no effort. Players don't want to play for him, all that stuff. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm talking mostly about the offense here, right? And the offense is dramatically worse on, on many counts. And even if you don't look at it from a results standpoint, uh, from a process standpoint, you know, the Pelicans are passing way less. They were, they were the second best passing team in the league last year. Uh, they're passing way less, which is, again, a product of limiting the turnovers, limiting the turnovers, which they haven't done a great job of limiting the turnovers um at all it's it's again we talked about last year how this is a a low iq team and i i think that is probably still true but it's it's also a low skill team and i think those things go hand in hand um and and so yeah the they're they're passing a lot less they're driving a lot less you tweeted out that they're generating a lot less assisted looks from threes um i tweeted out that they're generating uh, a lot less open looks from threes uh, they they generated only eight wide open threes last night. Eight. Uh, the the best team in the league at generating these things generates well over twenty. Uh, I think it was. Hold on one second. Um, the best team in the league generates twenty three point seven. The worst team in the league, the Magic, um, at generating these shots, not record wise, they generate ten ten and a half. So this is below the worst. And it's, that's just, that's just bad offense. They can't generate any good looks. They're not moving the ball. Um, they're driving the ball a lot less, which is to be expected when you move drew holiday. I mean, I think the expectation was that Eric Bledsoe could fill that gap a little bit, apply a little bit of rim pressure. Uh, he has not been good. He's been terrible outside of that first game. Uh, he had he had a pretty key game-winning block against uh, DeRozan um, when they played the Spurs, and, and defensively he's been adequate and fine. But, yeah, it, it's been a disaster on offense for him. Uh, it's been a disaster on offense for anyone not named Brandon Ingram or, or Zion mm-hmm. Williamson. Yeah, and look, I mean, uh, we're, you and I both be quick to say that this Pelicans team was not – we didn't expect the world from them from a from a three point shooting perspective. They were they were top ten last year. 
there were a lot of caveats noted on that that Zion didn't play a lot. So you're if you're replacing him with with Melly, even though Melly was not that good last year three point shooting, so that's kind of a farce. But um, but yeah, you know, th- there's there was a lot of reasons to expect they're not going to be top ten this year with the trade offs they've made over the off season. Um, and but still, like you've got to be able to generate open looks to have a chance at making three point shots. And so you can you can talk to me all you want about how you don't think the Pelicans have enough shooters, but like if you can't get those guys good looks, I mean beyond like JJ Reddick who can you know make a three with his eyes closed with his hand in his, his hand in his face. There's like, I mean, you need to, to be able to create space for these guys. And so if you're not scared of the Pelicans attacking and anyone besides Ingram or even Zion to an extent being like the second, the second most likely guy to, to drive and, and try to make defenses collapse on you, then if I'm a defender, like, what do I, what do I care about? You know, I, I'm going to stick to stick to people on the perimeter until you force me to think about defending differently. And that's, that's kind of the, the that's, I think that's the bigger problem in saying need more shooters, need more shooters, you know? Yeah. Like I said, it, it, there, there has to be a procedural improvement that generates the type of quality shots the Pelicans need. Um, er, Every team in the league is going to be trying to limit their efficiency and the Pelican strength is clearly in the paint and at the rim. And so far they've faced three teams that have purposely created a wall for Zion and everyone else and, and dared the Pelicans to beat them from outside. And, and they won two of those games and uh, one of them, they shot lights out and then they haven't shot lights out ever again. And they kind of won on the strength of their quote unquote defense uh, against the Spurs. But, you know, you have those three coaches, Nurse, uh, Spolstra, and Popovich, that are the masters at creating defenses geared for guys like LeBron, guys like Giannis. And so Zion is nothing new in terms of where he wants to get shots up at. And and so that's what they did, and they made the Pels' life difficult. But the Suns aren't that. You know, Monty is a really good coach, and the Suns are a really good team. But they aren't the type to, to completely wall off the paint. Um and so the Pelicans needed to be better and their guard play needed to be better to generate those looks. And it's disappointing that they only got eight wide open threes uh, against the Suns. And so I think let's, let's talk about a couple things here. Um, there is a lot to unpack uh, with what's going on. Um, we've been kind of talking about the negatives. Let's, let's talk about some positives here. Uh, two positives that uh, I, I want to point out. Um, one Brandon Ingram looks fantastic you know he's coming back from that max contract and he's nailing his jumpers he's passing like a madman um, yeah I mean there's been some slips uh, in terms of turnovers uh, his turnover rate is still less than than last year's I believe maybe it changed over last night um, but it, he looks like he's taking another step uh, to becoming a more complete player um, that that is a positive to me the second positive which i think is important for the long-term health of this franchise is absolutely no minutes restrictions on zion he's had a couple games where he's already played 38 minutes twice um so two big big wins there in terms of the franchise players uh and i think that's an important takeaway yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that in particular speaks to the broader way in which I'm kind of approaching the season. And I know it's hard to do that. And, and this, this also gets back to your comment around everyone before the season, everyone's like, yeah, probably 500 ish team. And now they're doing two, there's uh, chaos, <laughs> but it, it's really about the fact this is a, this isn't about the season. And I know, I know it's hard to hear that. And I know, especially as Belkin's fan, when you've got, when you feel like you hear that every single year, it's like about it's, lottery yeah. odds, Mason, the season is lost, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, it, it's, it's really about, it's about the, the long-term prospects of this team and, and that it's path to being, um, you know, a title contender or, or at least like a, a deep playoff team. And so that's not this season, but when you talk about those two factors, you just mentioned and Brandon Ingram taking another step in his game and Zion Williamson, who's still a, a kid, but, has is second on the team in minutes, just right right behind the eye, um, playing. You know, no, like you said, no restrictions. Like those are those are foundational elements for the long term. Like I, I don't care much as much about um, you know Eric Bledsoe's last three games being trash. 
um, when we're thinking about the bigger picture. It, it changes your perspective. And so, yeah, there are a lot of problems right now, but I think that the bigger picture is that the, the, the guys you, you want to see thriving and, and you want to see healthy have given you no reasons to be uh, more concerned than you were before the season. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm feeling much better about it. So, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. It's important to keep that perspective when, when things don't go well like they did against Phoenix. Yeah, absolutely. And so since we touched on that and you mentioned um, they haven't given you more to be concerned about, uh, I do want to bring up Zion in in the overall conversation because it seems sure. like uh, there has been a lot of discussion driven by one of the friends of the pod, uh, Michael McNamara, in terms of what his future looks like and uh, and what, what he may be. Um, is there a part of you that's that's disappointed in where he's at physically? Um, and how that relates to the effort he puts forth on the court, especially on the defensive end? I, I think it's too early. Um, and like, I get the sentiment, um, but also I'm, I like to have fun. <laughs> and so I, I'm trying not to, uh, to dwell on negatives too much for a guy who's played like what, 30 games so far in his career. And he's had anything. And, and this applies, and I'm sure we'll talk about Jack too, but this applies to, to him too. And all, all the, all the rookies from last season, it's like, um, Rookies out of college, I have to say. I'm not giving the same benefit of the doubt to, to Melly, but um, but it's been it's been a weird first, you know, 12 to, to to 18 months in the NBA for these guys. I mean, you you go from especially with Zion, was starting the season with an injury, comes back and and will will not had a great summer league, had a great preseason, and kind of hit hit a brick wall and didn't get to play much. And so all these guys face unique circumstances from the start, and it got exacerbated obviously during the pandemic. There's a bubble. And then you come back to your second year after what seems like a, a three-hour offseason, um, no training camp uh, or, or limited training camp, and, and you just got so little time to put all the pieces together. And it's it's there's a cur- learning curve here that has been increased by the nature of the past you know year or so. And so um, there, uh, if if you're gonna um, point out things that are cause for concern, I'm not here to say that you're wrong. I'm just I need, I need more data. I need to see a little bit more before I start to, to p- hit the panic button. Um, so that, that's kind of where I stand. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a very reasonable take. And I think I've already voiced my long-term concerns with Zion and, and Brandon Ingram uh, in terms of building a team that's competent defensively around those two guys, because neither have been fantastic. Um, it's too early to tell uh, if either of them taken a meaningful step forward this season, I, I do think uh, the activity from Brandon Ingram has been increased. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like 40 games in, uh, especially if the season goes south. Um, that's something to watch for. But I, I remain optimistic that if he continues this level of uh, activity, that it's not a horrendous liability. And, and you know, it, it gives you a little bit more flexibility with what you can do with those lineups. But um, as far as Zion, I think I think you hit the nail on the head that it's been a really tough adjustment uh, for for the young player. And to me, it, it looks like he just has um, he doesn't know what it takes to be at an all NBA or MVP level in the NBA yet. And that is, again, a product of playing less than 30 games, um, being as young as he is. And, and just not having experience like that. And I think JJ Reddick mentioned on his pod at one point, like, you know, Zion hasn't established his routine yet in terms of what works for him and gets him ready um, on, on a night to night basis. And I think once he figures out that part, things will start to slow down for him and he'll get better. I, I do think that there needs to be a, a continued and, strong emphasis on his physical conditioning, which if he's able to play 38 minutes, I think that is already a massive improvement. I I think he looks a lot better mobility wise than he did in the bubble um, given such a short turnaround. And so optimistically it looks even better next off season if, you know, health permitting. And so I'm not, I have fewer long-term concerns and uh, again, I, no knock on anybody that that is let down or, or feels like you know maybe Zion won't end up being that guy. Hey man, you're you're entitled to your opinion. Um, there there there's certainly you know reasons to to believe that given what we've seen. But 
I, I'm with you. I, I need more data. Yeah, for sure. And I, I guess, should we, um, do you want to take this to the other, uh, to the next rookie big man that are for last year's big man and talk about that? Or you want to want to save that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So, yeah. So there is, I'll, I'll, you referenced the, the lack of, uh, of contributions from role players. That's, and, and, you know, we've got Zion healthy and playing big minutes. We've got BI looking, looking awesome. And beyond that, we should probably talk about Steven Aswell because I think he's been, um, you know, he, he's, he's, uh, he's made me happy so far with his contributions. But I mean, beyond that, it's been tough. And um, Jackson Hayes and Melly, for that matter, have been two of the big, I think, big causes of concerns uh, from, from folks just because the Pelicans have kind of been a disaster when Steven Adams has left the floor. Um, and there's been a lot of, of uh, pointing at um, I'll talk maybe Hayes a little bit more specifically because this is, this is the more, this is the key question to me. It's less about Melly. Like I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of, I'm quickly falling off the, the, the train with him and I, I don't, I don't really see him having a future with the team beyond this year or, you know, you know, being um, a guy who's a regular rotation player, but Hayes is a question mark, right? I, I think people are disappointed that they haven't seen growth from him, um, you know, from last year to this year, again, after four games. Um, and, and I think um, may, there may be almost an unfair level of expectations being put on Jacks just because of the so few options elsewhere for the Pelicans to go in these situations. I mean, um, I, I promise you if there was someone who was legitimately better than Jackson Hayes um, there to get minutes in the front court, they I, I, Stan Van Gundy isn't going to mess around and, and he's going to give that player minutes. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's, I, I do feel a little bad for Jack just because of everything I mentioned with Zion's case for him too, in terms of how the first, his first year has gone and, and the limited time he's had to really um, have an off season and, and, and create and improvements in his game. But it's, um, I, I do think the re- reaction to Jack has been a little bit unfair um, in that he's just, I don't think he's like other 20 year olds who have been playing basketball for their entire lives. And like, not to say that Jax hasn't played in some form, but he hasn't taken, he wasn't a, a basketball player, like I, I, I you know, and, and made that his focus until like high school. And he's just, he, he just hasn't played for very long and he's, he's not there the development curve, the way that some other players might be in his, at his age. And so, um, if you want to bash Griff or whoever for taking him eighth, um, and, and that he, he shouldn't have been drafted that high, you know, that's fine. I, I think it's crazy to just close the book on him and just say, let's, you know, he's, he's not going to make, it's not going to happen. Like four games into a second year. It, it's, I haven't seen any improvement. So let's just shut it down and, and, and move on. Like that, I, I haven't, maybe it hasn't been quite that extreme, but it seems like that's been a general sentiment from a lot of people frustrated that he hasn't shown more improvement. And like, I get the frustration, but at the same time, the Pelicans don't really have any other places to turn. Uh, behind Stephen Adams, which is a whole other discussion unto itself. So, I mean, let's just can, can we can we wait a little bit before we're judging uh, this 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 kid uh, and and how, what his NBA career might look like? I mean, I think you may even be better to speak to this than me because you're you're buying all the Jackson Hayes stock over the offseason, and so I'm curious what your perspective is on him after four games and if it's changed. Yeah, I mean, I, do you feel like our pod gets boring sometimes because we agree too much? Uh, yes, but we'll get to Lonzo soon. I feel like we can start to we can we can maybe start to talk a little bit more about th- disagreeing on that. But here, uh, but but let's let's go, with Jack. Okay, yeah. I mean, look, I, I think you summed it up really well with regards to having patience on Jackson. But I I do want to touch on on one point. Look, he's playing nine minutes per game, right? And he's playing nine minutes per game on primarily bench units that have zero shot creation on them. So imagine if he is on last year's Oklahoma City Thunder or, you know, if he is on um, the Clippers, right? And he has Dennis Schroeder from last year's Thunder running like 10 pick and rolls with him or, or Lou Williams running 10 pick and rolls for him. And because that's who Jackson Hayes is as a player right now, right? He's a, a pick and roll finisher. He's a lob threat. He's a roll man. He's extremely athletic big and his gifts aren't being utilized in that front because the way the Pelicans are currently using him is a million and a half dribble handoffs with JJ Redick, which is designed to get JJ shots. And that's important because JJ, you need to get JJ going. He can swing games if his, if he's on fire um, and he's been in a slump uh, since that first game, but it takes away from Jackson's game because 
in order to have a successful dribble handoff, it's like it's very similar to running a, a pick and roll. You need a component where you can utilize the roll, man, right? And JJ, if he gets the handoff, he is not big enough to pass over defenders and, and hit Jackson on, on that role. And also the Pelicans bench is just so bad that, you know, the teams can load up on Jackson rolling to the rim because they know that got like, there's no one making that swing pass to the weak side corner. Um, and if the, even if they manage to get that pass off, that, that guy's not going to hit that shot. We're, we're going to live with it. And so I think Jackson would do much better on a team where his role was simplified as, as a pick and roll man. And I think, you know, that's part of why I want to see more Nikhil minutes. I want to see more Kyra minutes. Nikhil has shown chemistry with Jackson running that pick and pick and roll. And, and it's not a complicated offense. It's just a high screen and roll. And I think it leads to good shots because Nikhil, un, unlike some other guards on this team, actually makes a concerted effort to drive to the rim, warp the defense a little bit, draw two. Because if, if Nikhil is drawing two uh, and someone's helping off of Jackson, that's an that's an easy dump off pass or an easy lob. And so that's kind of the environment Jackson needs to thrive in. And I guarantee you if the Pelicans had elite guard play or competent guard play for that matter, uh, he would look like a much different player. And, and it doesn't apply just to Jackson. It applies to Melly, who I think would get cleaner catch and shoot looks. If they had a guy like that, it applies to Hart, who I think would get more corner threes. It would apply to JJ, who would get more. Uh, he would finally get catch and shoot looks that aren't him running off a million screens and trying his damnedest to get open because teams know, like, hey, that's really the only shot the Pelicans can generate on the bench. And so they sit on that. They sit on that pass and they and they they swarm JJ and then they they force the ball out of his hands. Um, so it's it's a pretty easy action to defend if the other guys aren't doing anything. And so, you know, I was hoping that putting Bledsoe and staggering Bledsoe with those units um, would create some of that where you just spam the pick and roll with him in, uh, in Jackson and, and you live with whatever the results come. But for, for whatever reason, um, whether it's Bledsoe not taking the initiative to do it, whether it's Stan uh, calling different plays and, and making it more JJ oriented or the players just not having the chemistry, they're not, they're not doing that. Right. I, f- I feel like that's, that's an easy pathway to a good off or an okay offense and, and getting easy buckets for, for these guys. Um, but they're, but they're not doing that. And so I think guys like Jackson um, can look way better if they have way better guards. Like if, if you put him on a team with James Harden right now, you know, James Harden was making um, Nene, at like 40 years old, look good. And Tyson Chandler, like 40 years old, look good. Um, who is that minimum player that I love that the Nuggets just signed? Uh, Hart, Isaiah Hartenstein. You know, like those guys are going to thrive next to a guard that can draw to and draw attention and get to the rim um, and, and get easy buckets. And, and that's who, who Jackson is, who I think he's made improvements in other areas. He, he His rebounding rate has improved. Um, his block and steal rates are, are better. His assist rates are better this year. Um, he, I think he's making better contact on screens. It's just, man, the Pelicans leave so much to be desired on the offensive end, specifically on their on their bench. Like they need, like if they had a, 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 a God, oh my God, people are going to hate me for this. If they had like a Spencer Dinwiddie on the bench, if they had a Karis Levert, <laughs> they had a Karis Levert um, on on the bench. You know, like there's just one competent ball handler on the bench that can just eat up possessions and, and, and your bread and butter is just spamming that pick and roll and, and creating looks out of it. That that's what they need. And I think that kind of carries over to the starting unit as well, because um, Stan and Gundy mentioned that Brandon Ingram is having to create more shots uh, for himself than he, than he ever has. And, and so I, I think that's absolutely accurate because he's shooting like, 20 something percent from from catch and shoot three and he's not taking all that many of them and he's, he's shooting like an absurd like 45 percent um like off the dribble and and he's nailing them but really you know like last year we discovered that catch and shoot ingram is is a de- deadly weapon and there's no one on the team to to take advantage of that and same thing with zion you know the i agree that getting him reps on the ball and having him initiate is a, a pathway for him to become a better player. And, and it's going to make him better next year. 
right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you had a, a guard who can break down the defense and create that open look, how many, you know, how many easy shots is Zion getting? How many easy pick and roll lobs? Like, has he had like a single pick and roll lob this season? Like, are, are, like all of his lobs have basically been in, in transition or like off a of post off or, or, you know, a broken play. Um, mm-hmm. But like, you know, your bread and butter, like if Chris Paul runs a high pick and roll um, with, with Tyson Chandler, and 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 he gets that lob off the Crescent City connection. Like, how many of those situations has has Zion had? That's and, that's a, yeah, that's exactly where my I was gonna. You mentioned Tyson Chandler on the Rockets, and I was gonna go way back to Tyson Chandler on Pelicans. Like Chris Paul, legit, and, and Chandler was, was still young, but Chris Paul legitimately revitalized Tyson Chandler's career. Like he was just a he was a high draft pick who really hadn't amounted to too much, and then got, until he came to New Orleans, and and look look what happened. I mean, like I think I think it, it speaks volumes to. Putting guys like that in the right situation also does a lot for their confidence level and, and feeling like they, they, they belong. And, like, you, you run some risks here if you're going to close the book on a guy like Hayes before you really know what he is and what he can be. Um, and, look, again, if you get back to um, – if there's a, a, a legitimately much better option than Jackson Hayes to be taking those minutes and, and whatever it is, like you said, he's only played nine minutes a game so far this year. Or in, like, the, the, the 10 minutes a game or 12 minutes a game or so you're looking for from him, then – yeah, it's good. Like if Gabriel, if Gabriel gets active and and Stan thinks he's a, he's a good option to plug in there and can help the team win games, that'll probably happen. Whether he plays for Melly or for for Hayes, but I just don't see, I I don't see the the need to just jump ship on him, uh, right now when you just there's no there's no good alternative. There just isn't. And and so that like I said, that's a whole other can of worms that we can we can jump into if we want. Yeah, I mean like. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I looked up the stats for the creation stuff. Um, okay, so on average, you know, what percent of Brandon Ingram's field goals do you think were assisted uh, his first four years in the league? It's not it's not a very high percentage because he creates for himself a lot. But on average, what do you think it was? For Sorry, say it for BI? Yeah, BI. Um... His first four years. Just for for all shots or just like all shots. Just three? All shots. Mm. And then we'll we'll go three. Uh forty percent. Yeah, I mean close enough. Actually it, it's not all shots, it's it's two points. Um I thought there would be okay. a, a delineation, but so thirty four point nine percent of his uh two pointers were assisted. Uh okay. his first four years in the league. Um ninety one point seven percent of his threes were assisted his first four years in the league. Where do you think those numbers are at today, this season? Well, judging by the Pelicans at large, those numbers have, been, have dropped precipitously. Um, I'd imagine he's creating two-thirds of his looks. <laughs> Bro, 13.6% of his two-pointers have been assisted. <laughs> so like 85%, 90%. Yes. <laughs> He's creating like 86% of his looks. Which is absurd. Yeah. And then from 3, so his first 4 years, 91% of them had been assisted, right? Mhm. 50% of them have been assisted this year. I mean, a lot of them are just like pull up bailouts right <laughs> just like yeah, right, I mean, I'm it's do a this. high screen with adams or high screen with zion and then uh there's enough separation and he, and he lets it fly which is amazing i you know i i think that's the next evolution in his game and i think that's uh that's going to help zion a lot on on a better fitting roster um it's going to help the whole team because that's that's where the nba is heading you need to be able to hit that pull up three um and the pelicans didn't have that guy and if, if ingram turns into um Zach Lowe likes to call it a capital S shooter um, off, off the dribble there, then, you know, that's, that's a problem. That's, that is a deadly weapon. And so I, you know, I'm all for Ingram letting those things fly. I should continue to let those things fly, but you know, that that's kind of the dire state that the Pelicans are in in terms, in terms of shot creation. Um, and, and so to, to bring it back to Jackson Hayes, like, yes, he's been disappointing, um, but the environment just hasn't been anything to lead him to be better than, than he should be. I mean, he looked better last year um, because the Pelicans had way more guard play and way more and more spacing uh, and, and way more shooting. And they played at a faster pace, you know, they're playing to his strengths. And if you, if you want to turn him into, um, 
you know, like, I don't know. I don't even, I can't even think of a good example, but like just, just a dribble handoff guy, then you know, that's, that's really mitigating his, his actual skill set. And so um, I am optimistic that he, that he gets a lot better. It's, it's very possible that he does not live up to the bill of, of an eighth pick. Um, I think, you know, at this point, people would say it's, it's realistic that he doesn't live up to, like, he's probably not going to be the eighth best player. Uh, I'm, I'm still, I'm still high on him. I, I think it's, I think I still think that he can be uh, a pretty impressive force defensively. And, and I think offensively he can be a problem in, in the right system. So we'll see a uh, lot of growth left for, for him to do, especially from a body development standpoint. Uh, this was supposed to be his rookie year. He was not supposed to play last year effectively. And so that's another lens to, to keep in mind, but you know, he's just one of many Pelicans that have been disappointing this season to say the least. The NBA is back in action, and football is heading to the playoffs. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals, to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start wagering on wins, division, and championship features all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. 2020 has reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world, with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes in Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. So, who's next? Bloodloop? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's always time to talk about Alonzo on the pod. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, <laughs> all right, let's go there. So, so, so Alonzo, I mean, um, it's, I'm, I'm struggling a lot with his season this year, and not because I think he's been bad, because I don't know, I don't know how to – I'm struggling to evaluate it. Because, like, I think, I think Alonzo's done a lot of things well. I think – the things he hasn't done well, the things he's always not really done well, but it's things that the team needs more this year. And so like, it's more pronounced that he hasn't done them well, but like on the flip side, I think he's been one of the best teams, best defenders over the first four games. I think he's clearly taken a step up there. Whereas a lot, of, I think a lot of it last year was just the reputation more than the actual results, but I think he's doing better defensively. He's been a key to their success on that end so far. Um, I, but I just feel like on offense, I'm not saying, I, you can you can rave about how the uh, the pull up jumper is a game changer for him all you want, but like I I don't think it is, and I I don't I don't see the I, I don't see a much different Lonzo Ball on the offensive end, which again is fine depending on what you want from him, and again what you think he's worth next summer because that's critical, um, but it's but who he is and what the skills the Pelicans lack. Um, it, again, I feel like it's more pronounced now and, as, and it's going to be, it, it could get, it could get uglier in certain cases as the season goes on. But again, that's not, that's not necessarily Lonzo's fault as much as it is a roster building. So, uh, roster building, uh, issue in the short term. Um, but what, I mean, what, what have you seen from him uh, relative to what you were expecting or hoping to see so far? Yeah. I mean, I think I wrote about this right as the season started, right before the season started that we need to see consistency out of him. We can't have Alonzo that is hot and cold. One night he looks like a star. The other night he looks like his bubble version. And so far, that's exactly what we've seen. Um, you know, he had uh, a good game against the Raptors. He, he, he 
was knocking down a lot of shots, uh, especially from three. And I think there was one quarter, the like third quarter specifically, where he turned it around um, against the Raptors. Likewise, uh, with the Spurs, again, in the third quarter, he really turned it around. So really, you know, he's had two really impressive quarters of play um, on the offensive end. Outside of that, it's it's been a lot of where are you, dude? I, I don't feel your presence. Um, you're you're not really generating that many assists at the moment. You're still leading the team in touches, so uh, I don't want to hear the excuse of oh they're not they're not giving him the ball. No, he's he's leading the team in touches. Um, he's not generating that many assists, and it's not like there's a lot of potential assists that he's leaving on the table. Um, that's not the case either. Uh, he has more rebounds and assists. He's driving even less than last year which is problematic. I, I was hoping to see perhaps a step up in that direction. Um, the improvement is that he's feeling confident to take that off the dribble mid range shot. And he's hit five of six so far. Um, I don't think that's sustainable, but it may be a pathway to some points for him uh, and his ability to impact the game. Um, but again, that if you're, if you're taking like two a game, um, maybe one a game, Defenses are not going to care, especially if it's a, it's a long two. Um, so there, there's still, it's a work in progress. It's a encouraging sign that he's taking that he's used the glass a couple times really well. Um, shows a good understanding of angles. Uh, that's encouraging. Um, it's not anywhere near the stage where defenses care or that's going to meaningfully help the Pelicans. Uh, but again, it's, it's, it's a work in progress. So my biggest thing was I don't want to see hot and cold Lonzo. We have seen hot and cold Lonzo on the offensive end. As you mentioned, his defense has been spectacular. Uh, just, I don't, there's no other word for it. it. It's been, it's been spectacular. He's been fighting over screens, which I thought was a big issue last year. Uh, he wasn't getting over screens uh, a lot. He's been playing the passing lanes a lot. Um, it seems like the Pelicans have given him the Drew Holiday responsibility of defending the best perimeter player. Uh which is fantastic. I think we will, we'll see what that looks like when you, when they play a team that has some dynamic wings of Brandon Ingram size. Um, but so far, you know, like the, the, he's been, he's been, he's been spectacular on that end. So no complaints on, on the defensive end, just, just need some offensive consistency in any capacity. And then kind of going back to our previous point about like shot creation. Um, one thing I feel like people don't realize with Lonzo is, you know, his, his arguable best scoring skill. I mean, it's not argue it's inarguable. His best scoring skill period is, is the catch and shoot three. And if they had a dynamic guard uh, and, and this is, this is a little bit on Bledsoe um, and some of the other shot creators on the team, but if they had a dynamic guard like Drew holiday um, or someone better that can create easy catch and shoot threes for Lonzo, he would look a lot better. Um and and to be fair, like Lonzo hasn't hit his threes, and and I expect that to to come around uh, a little bit because I don't think he is a twenty eight point six percent three point shooter. Uh, I don't think JJ is a twenty nine percent three point shooter. Um, but it, it's it's been it hasn't been good offensively at all. Yeah, um, it's been uh, <laughs> it, it, it it's certainly very frustrating, and like I. I, I thought I, I thought Bledsoe wouldn't be I, I didn't think he'd be Drew level, but I thought he would be able to give the Pelicans like an, enough the, of what Drew did um, off the dribble and, and pick and rolls and uh, you know in terms of getting to the rim that would you know help Lonzo continue the success he showed last season uh, inconsistencies aside, but it hasn't it hasn't happened and I I just I. I really don't know. I, I, I guess part of it is like we got to pump the brakes on the, on the Bledsoe criticisms because he it, it, it's new. He's new to the team and, and being a, lead, a quote unquote lead guard, um, you know, when, when you haven't really had time to get integrated um, should be less of an issue for Bledsoe because of that, but, but still challenging. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's not like Lonzo has been perfectly set up for success on the offensive end either. So I mean, it's a lot of things that come to a head together. Um, but, but again, I, I think, um, I think your point about consistency is well taken. It's something that, you know, he, he needs, he needs to show if he wants to, you know, be, be uh, a, a guy who gets a, that, that next contract that, um, you know, is going to give him what he wants. 
Yeah, I mean, so that that's the concerning aspect, right? So Markel Fultz, who's been spectacular himself, he's averaging like 20 points a game um, on the Magic, who've been a pretty good team uh, so far. You know, he, he got a three-year, $50 million extension. Um, Derek White, four years, 72, 73 million, something like that. Um, again, these guys are getting between 16 to $19 million a piece, right? Uh, and there's no reason for Lonzo to accept anything less than that because they're comparable players at best, I think. Um, and uh, at, I'm sorry, at worst, at best, you know, Lonzo's just way better than they are um, because, you know, he's a dynamic playmaker uh, in transition, uh, rebounder, defender, all the above, et cetera. Um, and so if you're a clutch, you're going into the the restricted free agency, like, look, these guys got paid. Lonzo wants to get paid. And and so the conversation, the numbers I got, I heard, got thrown around, um, you know, they, they believe that they could get more than Fred Van Vliet got, which I don't want to pay a guy that you don't know what you're going to get from a night to night basis. Fred Van Vliet money. That's, you know, $22 million a year. I, I can't, I can't get behind that. And so the, the Pelicans need to figure out what they have with him. Um, this is going to upset the, his, his portion of the fan base. But, you know, I said, before the season started and this is going to be my default state going forward is that the, the Pelicans should look to move on from him. Um, and, and that's going to be my default state until he plays well enough to swing me from that position. Uh, and, and I think moving on from him just gives opportunity to the other guys who the Pelicans also need to figure out what they are. They need to figure out who Nikhil is. They need to figure out what Kyra is. Um, and they got time, you know, there's, there's no rush, but you know, I, I don't want them to be in a situation where it's the summer and you got hot and cold Lonzo for the whole year. And then someone throws him, you know, like 18, 19, $20 million a year. Uh, the Knicks do it or someone else does it. And you're like, well, do I match? And then um, if he signs that, that offer sheet, first of all, you know, your cap is tied for three days. Um, and then if he, if he doesn't sign it, uh, you're like, okay, well, do I let him walk for nothing? Um that's just this is a terrible place to be. Uh, it's kind of like where the Kings were with with Bogdanovich, and that's why they tried desperately to sign and trade him. And which is again another option in in the summer. But I just I would rather avoid all that mess and and just move forward. Um, we'll see. You know, long season ahead, and and four games is absolutely nothing uh, to make a decisive decision on. And and there's still ample opportunity for him to get better. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm. I, I don't know if we disagree on this, but I'm, but it's probably the closest thing we've gotten to on this podcast so far, but I'm, I'm at this point, I'm firmly in the camp of wanting to wait it out and not, and, and like wait until something close to the trade deadline to make, to even think about moving Lonzo. I mean, like, I don't, I don't, I, I want to get as much more data as I can because I still don't feel like his, his value is enough on the open market to really trade him for anything of value. Unless it, the, the one caveat to that is that, and it's a problem that Pelicans created on, by, to them on their own, it, it, unless you're trying to do something that improves the roster in another way, um, since they're so close to the tax line, if you're trying to shed and, and upgrade elsewhere um, in a move that's, that you can kind of make a short-term and long-term argument for, like I, don't, I, don't, I certainly don't want to move Lonzo to make an a, a additional effort at the 2021 playoffs that doesn't really think about anything beyond that. But I, but I feel like I'm still seeing enough from him in different areas of his game to definitely want to get, keep him until the last possible moment um, at the trade deadline and see what, see what the offers are and see what you think he's going to command and, and the role he's filled in with, with the Pelican. So I am, uh, it seems like you're, you're in the, of the, can, of the mind of let's move him sooner rather than later and just kind of like give, give those minutes to others. I'm, I would like to see more uh, before I, I make that move. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the point I want to push back on was, you know, you saying you don't want to move him for, for nothing. And I think, you know, value, I think there's value in freeing up minutes. I think there's value in, in having a clear picture of your roster um, moving forward. So to me, that's not nothing. Uh, and, and that's the only thing I wanted to chime in on. And, and I'm, I'm sure you don't disagree on that, uh, but that's yeah, not, not at all. Yeah. 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 I mean, like trading him for, you know, maybe a little bit less than what you think his value is and, and justifying it by saying we're giving those minutes to Nikhil or to Kyra. Like I, I, I get the rationale there. So yeah, with it. Cool. And so moving on, but kind of on a similar notice, um, 
this is this has been a question that's been asked to us a lot and and we'll have a separate question and answer pod but um because we talked about Lonzo it's only right that we talk about his partner in crime Josh Hart who he got engaged congratulations to Josh Hart um very interesting uh engagement picture comments that uh are online uh if you haven't seen them check them out we're, did, we're you, did you hear what did you hear what Jen Hale said about the engagement on the broadcast yesterday uh, no what did she say <laughs> Oh, it wasn't a joke. It was, it was, I thought it was really cool that he used all local vendors for every, for everything he did for the engagement. Um, so like everything he, which I guess, it's like, it's like a hard thing to do. Um, cause there's, there's a lot of talent in New Orleans, but I thought it was cool that he's like, you know, he made sure to have to, to do every part of the engagement that he needed to get, um, you know, outside help for was done with, with folks from, from New Orleans, which is pretty neat. Man, that is really impressive. And that leads really nicely into the point I wanted to make about him. How, how upset should we be, uh, should we be like, you know, chaining ourselves to the facility, uh, the practice facility, because we did not give him a lifetime contract extension? <laughs> um, uh, I, I have no, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't oh, sure man. where you were going with that question, but that, that's definitely not where I thought you were going. <laughs> um, okay, but let's uh let's talk about that extension seriously right so in lonzo didn't get extended um which again reasonable for both sides given given the contract demands uh and and josh hart didn't get extended and and there were a fair number of people worried concerned upset um etc that josh hart did not get extended where were you at um on that um, my perspective changed throughout the day. <laughs> it was a, it was a very interesting day, right? Because you saw the contract of a contract come out and you started playing it forward. It's like, Oh, uh, these, the, these agents and these teams are seeing all these, you know, marquee free agents get re resigned by their existing teams. And so where is this money going to go? And I think teams started freaking out and started, you know, uh, acquiescing to player demands a little bit on, on contract amounts. And so, uh, I, I think uh, what my gut tells me is the Pelicans didn't want to rush and make a make a decision um, without feeling totally comfortable with it. And I think that I, it would I, I would be very surprised if not very surprised, but I would be surprised if Josh Hart does not resign with New Orleans. But I'm not I'm not heartbroken that they didn't get a deal done with him before the the deadline, just because. Um, I, I think the, the numbers are getting pretty, uh, pretty high for players, for similar players to, to Josh. So, like, I, I think the, it, it would have been the, the best, the hindsight 2020 move is to, to work out a deal with them earlier on in the process before these contracts started getting handed out. But also the Pelicans had their own uh, order of operations they had to consider um, regarding the, the, the moves for Drew, with Drew and Stephen Adams and all that. And so, like, they were, I'm sure they were still trying to figure out what their next couple of years would look like, too, and from a cap sheet perspective. And so, you know, the, the intel I got that was that there, there was conversations with him and there were, there were good conversations. And I think ultimately, again, it's one of those situations where both sides determined that it would be best to just address it at a different date. Um, I, I think it's important for the Pelicans to not lock themselves into long-term money, as you said, uh, and then overpay for someone. And I think, you know, I, while I get the concern of, of a team swooping in and just throwing a massive contract at Josh Hart, well, if they do that, great, more power to them. Um, I think he's a, a solid player and a, a player that this team needs culturally. And then he fills uh, a good amount of gaps, but it's, it's not one of those things where I, I, I'm trying to say this without like being insulting, but it's like, you know, it's, he's not a, a massive needle mover per se in the sense that like, you know, if, if someone came in and paid him, like someone paid Kent Bazemore a few years ago, you know, you, you let that Kent Bazemore walk every single time because you don't want to pay $18 million to, to Kent Bazemore, who's a fine player. He does a lot of the same things that Josh Hart does. Um, and, and that's just a situation you should avoid, uh, especially when, you know, teams find guys like Royce O'Neal or, or Denwell House or um, uh, the, the Raptors find, you know, guys like this all the time. And so I think that locking yourself into a massive deal would be a mistake. And, and I'm not too concerned about someone overpaying him. I, I really don't think teams, you know, like it, I just mentioned Royce O'Neal, like who came in clamoring for Royce O'Neal? No one. Right. Um, or, you know, maybe they extended it. Maybe, maybe he never hit free agency. 
the point is, you know, he got paid like $8 million a year. Uh, I think it was like a four year, 30, 32 to $36 million deal, uh, basically MLE money uh, at that time. And, and then he's been with the jazz. And I think that's kind of what Josh Hart's market will be. And, you know, at max, I'll be fine paying him Solomon Hill money, which was like four years, 48. Um, but nothing more than that. And, and I really don't think someone's going to raise his price up that much. Interesting. Even uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more concerned, I guess, than you are um, just seeing the numbers for guys like Derek white. And um, yeah, uh, I think the market's uh, different for, for PGs than it is for like swings who are okay. And, you know, like he, he, he's not a fantastic shooter. He's uh, only shooting 30% from three, which again, goes back to the whole, Pels aren't generating easy shots um, discussion. He's a tremendous rebounder, right? And he's, he's averaging seven and a half rebounds per game this year. But, you know, he's not an, a needle mover on, on offense. And needle movers on offense are what get paid, in my opinion, not um, grunt grunt guys. That explains what Kuzma got. So, understood. yeah, I mean, <laughs> eight, so like, you know, here's his career, 7.9 points per game, 7.8 points per game, 10 points per game last year, 8.3 points per game. Um, again, you're going to get eight to 10 points out of this guy every night. And maybe one night, you know, you get a lot more, but teams, teams really historically don't overpay for that unless you're Dell Dempson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> teams yeah. really don't historically <laughs> overpay for that. And so my, I just, my concern level is a lot lower on him. And I do think that he will be a Pelican for, for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I guess, even you know when I saw not just White but also Luke Kennard get the money he got, but also like I think Clippers are in a slightly different position in that you know they're I don't think they're thinking about cap space as much, and also like they're also looking at Kennard as kind of a point guard. I which think Kennard is good. I think he's just unhealthy. Like he's not very healthy. I think Kennard. No, I think is good. I think he's good too. Yeah. 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 But in, yeah, just rule of thumb, I think offensive players just get paid way more than like I think a mediocre offensive player gets paid more than a mediocre defender. Hmm. Well, fair. Hmm. Yeah. So that's uh. that's where I am with with Josh Hart. I feel like we've covered the roster fairly well, um, and so I, I do want to trend towards wrapping up the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But a couple things before we do that, uh, we didn't touch on Stephen Adams' um, thoughts, impressions, em- emotional outbursts, professions <laughs> of love. I mean, I. He's he is exactly what I thought he was going to be so far, which is uh, which feels like uh, which is nice because I feel like it's a lot of Pelican players that haven't haven't quite measured up uh, other than Bi, who's been better, even better as a playmaker. But but yeah, I mean, he, he's doing all all this. this uh, you know, he I, I mean I, I don't know what he's what his impact's been off the floor. Um, hard impossible to say this early, but he's. The, the Pelicans are clearly better when he's on the floor. I think the, the pairing with Zion for all the outcries we've heard about spacing. Um, yeah, the Pelicans shooting ain't great. We've already talked about that uh, enough. But I think he's, um, you know, I, I think the fit is fine um, to, to good. Um, and it's really fun to watch him set screens, which is kind of what we, we expected. We said, you know, we're going to try to counteract the lack of spacing that he provides with the ability to free guys up. Uh, uh, I, I, I guess he's not he hasn't done as much as i would have hoped on with with that uh, screen setting ability and that where the pelicans are still kind of struggling to get a ton of um you know good open looks but that's i think that's more about the other problems this team has than steven adams and so um i'm you know i'm, I'm happy with what i've seen and um it's it's nice to have a um a, a big i feel like we can reasonably rely on on both ends of the floor specifically rebounding yeah i think I'd say he's been more impressive than I thought he would be. I think there was, I was a little bit concerned that his mobility had taken a, a hit and, you know, he may not be the healthiest cause he has a lot of miles on him and he looks very active. He looks very mobile and, you know, it is an absolute treat watching him on the offensive glass. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's a monster of a human being in terms of size, but you know, it's one thing with Zion who has an absurd second jump and he's just, going to brute force his way into an offensive rebound this dude's technique is off the charts the way he like swim moves around people's and and, and uh spins around people and throws them out of the way and, and the way he gets positioning is 
it's a beauty to watch. And so I'm, I'm very excited to continue watching that. And again, I feel like everything that we've talked about circle circles back to the, the need for, for creation, because like, if you have a guy that sets screens as well as Steven Adams does, man, don't you wish you had a guy who can take advantage of him consistently, which I think part of why BI is taking a leap is, is they are running a lot of actions with those two together. And it's freeing up part of like why BI is shooting like 300 million percent on off the dribble threes is because Steven Adams sets a monster screen and there's nothing but daylight for Ingram to to hit that shot. Um, so I think we've already seen the fruits of, of Steven Adams screens. And I think they can maybe utilize that in a close game if they need to, if the Pelicans are ever getting that situation, but man, like, you know, OKC, one of the reasons they were so clutch last year, they were like the best team in the clutch, um, which Chris Paul had a lot to do with that. But one of the reasons Chris Paul looked like the Chris Paul of the old or he looked like he had, you know, um, gotten younger was because Steven Adams would set those massive screens for him, allowing Chris Paul to get downhill into that mid-range spot um, to, to get those shots off. And so if I all I want and doesn't have to be this season, you know, all I want on, on a team for like the future version of the team at some point is, is a guard who is dynamic and can create for himself and others and can score at more than one level. Oh, that's, that is all I want. And <laughs> very happy. Steven Adams is, is on the team. Yeah, for sure. And I, I feel like, um, I, I feel like we're going to get, we're getting to a lot of these uh, chicken or the egg discussions around, you know, what's the, what's the Pelicans problem? Is it a, ability to create off the dribble and, and, and create shots? Or is it the fact that you can't get into the lane because there's not enough spacing on the floor? And I guess but where I keep going back to is that, yes, both are, both are issues, but like I, I looked, I, I looked recently at the, uh, what, how many times, so in one, once Zion came back, and so the front court was predominantly Zion and Favors, so you had, you had two, you, you, you know, two non-shooting bigs on the floor. Um, how, how many drives per game was Drew Holiday re- uh, registering during that period? Um, a lot. <laughs> 13. <laughs> 13. And so I didn't dig into how, you know, what the turnover rate was on those, what the assist rate or, you know, field goal percentage was, but like if Drew can do it, there are better people, better players in the league at doing that than Drew. If Drew can can get into the paint with that level of frequency with two non-shooting bigs on the floor, like it can be done. It isn't like a Herculean effort. Um, I, I will like acknowledge that if when Bi is the one doing that driving, that exacerbates the problem because if Bi is inherently one of your spacers on the floor, if you're having him drive, then that's just one more shooter that's not spacing the floor for Bi because that is Bi driving, and so that that that's tricky, right? But um, but I, I think that there are players out there that are that are good at disrupting defenses, even when you don't have you're not flanking that player with shooters all over the floor. So like it, it can't it it it's it's, a, it's an issue for New Orleans, but it shouldn't be a crutch or an excuse, you know? Yeah, I I agree, I agree, and the Pelicans roster is clearly incomplete. And, you know, I know everyone wants to hammer management for that. And I feel like it's just one of those situations where, again, you're well within your right to, to hammer the management for that. They, they deserve criticism for, for building a roster that has the exact same flaws, uh, perhaps magnified um, that they did last year. But to me, all it does is it highlights that, Yes, they want to be competitive. Yes, they got good players, but there is a much larger picture in play. And and it's really tough when games are going on to kind of keep the big picture in mind, especially when you're watching the players think it up. And so, um, yeah, that's that's all I say. Keep that in mind and on, on to the next game. And hopefully we'll, the Pelicans pull out a win and, and some more wins going forward and uh, we'll be back at you guys with a question and answer pod uh, real quick. So thanks for listening.
What's up, everybody? I'm Bladen. I'm Matt. And I'm Theo. And we are Stay Hot, the only podcast that gives you the hottest analysis and takes on the NFL and NBA all year round. I know that there's a lot of losers and haters out there who don't think three sports TikTokers can hang for a full pod, but, you know, we're going to prove them all wrong. We're about to dive deep into the NFL draft and are already hitting the NBA playoffs. So watch Stay Hot on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.